A year from now, maybe, you know, everybody goes back to what they call normal. Um, I hope we have a new abnormal. Stand by. I'll be right there. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 372. Today is Sunday the 10th of May, 2020. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. This week's interview is with John Janch. John's the founder and president of Duct Tape Marketing, a small business marketing consultancy company. He's also the author of six books, including the big-time bestsellers, Duct Tape Marketing and The Referral Engine. His last book is called The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, 366 Daily Meditations to Feed Your Soul and Grow Your Business, a book that really fits very much into this current environment. In this conversation with John, we discuss the notions of self-reliance, mindfulness and solitude for entrepreneurs and small business leaders and defining what success really looks like for each of us. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com, and as ratings and reviews are the lifeblood of any podcast, please consider going over to this handy all-in-one ratethispodcast.com forward slash M-D-I-A-L-M-Dial to drop in your review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the interview. John Jansch, wow, great to have you on my show. I have been, of course, following what you do. I love your style, your books, your podcast, the Duct Tape Marketing, and and you really do shred a, a fun and and textually interesting path. That's how I'd like to introduce you. How about you, John? How would you like to say who you are? <laughs> Well, I'm just a, a marketing consultant who's been making it up every day for 30 years. Um, so I just I I observe, uh, I try stuff, and then I write about it. And uh, um, you know, my my view is that uh, marketing is not that difficult. Um, it's actually just human nature. Um, a lot of people screw that up, but a lot of people screw human relationships up too. Um, but uh, you know that. To me, if it's not something that's uh, simple, practical, and is actually in service of you know the ideal client that you're trying to serve, uh, then you're probably wasting your time. So, I if if you if you want to find out really more specific rather than just kind of my <laughs> my lunatic ravings, um, it, it's just ducttapemarketing.com. Uh, and duct tape marketing is actually a system, the name of a system. I've, I've actually put it on everything else now, but it was sure. the name of a system I created because I was frustrated about 25 years ago trying to work with small business owners because that's who I really enjoyed serving. I was I had a whole mix of clients at that time, and but I really love working with small business owners and found it kind of frustrating because uh, – you know, they didn't have the same budgets or attention spans or anything. And so I said, what I need to do is I need to come in and say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Here are the results we hope to get. And here's what it costs. Do you want it or not? And to my somewhat surprise, but also delight, you know, the first three people I said that sentence to <laughs> um, all said yes. And, and it turns out that I tapped into, I think, uh, what is still today increasingly one of the most difficult things or most frustrating things for small businesses, it's actually hard to buy marketing services and getting harder because everybody's selling a piece of the puzzle and nobody's talking about strategy. They're all just talking about this new platform or this new tactic. And so uh, that that's really what I've built my entire probably life's work on the idea that marketing is a system. And uh, in addition to to books and writing and, and our own consulting, I've also now got a network of about 150 independent 
marketing consultants and agencies around the world that install the duct tape marketing system as well. You certainly do. And I know many of them. It's remarkable what you say, because at some level, the fact that we forget as human beings, human beings, and, and there's this sort of notion of what makes sense and listening to the customer. And sometimes I, I generally feel that the smaller companies that you're dealing with should be in closer contact with yeah. the front line. When you get into the big companies, which with whom I deal with, they, they, there's so many, so much bureaucratic tape, not duct tape, that, <laughs> that it gets, you know, the, the, the link with the customer is lost. They may have the budgets, but they are just in a morass of, of forgetting who the customer is and cost common sense. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, our, the front end of our engagement is something we call strategy first. And uh, I, I have, you know, as I've said, most of my work has been with the, you know, one to $10 million business, for example. But I've actually done strategy first engagements with billion dollar uh, companies because what you just said, uh, it, it may, it's, it may be, um, you know, eye opening to talk to a small business owner about strategy. And of course, much larger organizations get it. Sure, sure, sure. We know strategy, but they're not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Know? So it, yada, it really yada, is yada, every yada. level, every size. Right, right. Exactly. Well, and to this point, so I think the, 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 the two words that constantly resonate for me that are missing are brand and strategy. And and so brand for me is a is a question of of a personality, and when you're a bigger organization where the entrepreneur founder has moved on, where is that voice? Where is that heartbeat? Where is that a a minus blood or whatever blood type flowing and coursing? It's not all bloods. There's a specific blood type and a specific thing, and then the second thing is brand. And when it comes to smaller companies, at some level, sometimes it's just like the owner is the brand. But then for the rest, they're like, I don't have time for that. I don't know about that. So strategy and brand, you know, I got time for that later almost. Yeah. I, I tell small business owners all the time because I've been saying the same thing that, that you know, small businesses have a brand. Every business has a brand. It's just whether or not you're directing it <laughs> intentionally because the essence of a brand is just what the market thinks about you. Um, and so for a lot of uh, small businesses, as you said, you know, who they are being, who the owner of the business, the founder of the business is being, certainly who, how their employees are, are being perceived out there in the world. That's, that's their brand, whether, you know, whether it's a positive or negative or good one or bad one, it, it does exist. One of the things that I tried to push in the bigger companies was the idea that executives need to have a personal brand participating in the conversation of the overall organization. When you're a smaller company, it's sort of obvious. You know, you are the salesperson, the coffee maker, you know, you're, you're doing whatever you can and you're, you, you know, you founded it, so you are it. What's your opinion about Certainly, as you scale up into bigger companies, the role of the founder present or the you know the the, the senior executive's role online. Well, I think increasingly it's become the the keeper of the culture. Um, to tell you the truth, I mean it, it's I mean you said specifically online, but I think for the organization, the role they really serve quite often is is the one that's setting the tone, that's telling the story. Um, you know, and 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 not necessarily in uh, the day to day stuff. Now, a lot of them are also beholden to a board and to you know financial <laughs> performance and things. But I think inside the organization and maybe their public presence online, it, it's probably to be a, a model of the culture that 
you know, not that you want the market to perceive, but but that, you know, is true about the business. That is sort of the brand promise, you know, delivered through culture. In your book, Self-Reliant, The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, which I, I tended to think through my prism, which is big companies, mm-hmm. you do talk about the ideas of messiness and, and imperfection. There's a Thoreau quote, which is the fault finder will find faults even in paradise. Love your life poor as it is. In big corporations, we tend to like to polish things and make things yeah. look spick and span, get the agency to retouch my face. I don't like the wrinkles. Yet that's what I think customers are looking for. Do you, do you think that is maybe the biggest winning point that small companies can have over big companies? I, I absolutely do. Um, you, you know, there's a lot of talk about this idea of, uh, you know, the hero's journey um, and, you know, stories in, in companies. And, you know, the, the, the customer for a small business is, you know, is the hero of the story. And I think that small business owners, small businesses in general have um, – a much, a much better chance of connecting with, we get you, <laughs> you know, we, we truly understand your problem. Um, and, uh, you know, all you have to do is go read for small businesses, go read their reviews. Um, assuming they have good, like Google strong, good, you know, Google five-star reviews. Um, and you, you, you will get a sense of what that business does well from those reviews. And I can almost guarantee you it will be, it will say little about the, Service, you know, if you're a tree service, it doesn't say they cut my tree down well. It always says they showed up on time and they cleaned up the job site. I mean, it's always about the people. It's always about the experience. And I think small businesses have a real opportunity to to deliver, you know, on the promise um, in a very, uh, again, it's it's not automatic, but I think they have that opportunity um, in a way that is much closer to uh, the the actual customer's story. In in the book, you have these uh, wonderful sayings, and and it's clearly a personal journey that you went through. <laughs> what did you learn at the when you put the final dot on the final yeah. point? <laughs> So maybe we ought to explain the book a little bit Go for it. Um, because that might help with the context. So it, it is a daily devotional, meaning every single day you wake up and there's, you know, there's it's May 1st when you and I were recording this. You know, you get May 1st uh, for a reading. Uh, then every day starts with um, some literature that I curated from the mid 19th century. So you mentioned Thoreau and Emerson and Margaret Fuller and Louise May Alcott. And then you get about 150 to 200 words, maybe contextualizing the reading uh, for today's entrepreneur. And then I leave you every day with a question. A challenge. A challenge, yeah. So it's it's uh, it's meant to be a practice. It's not a book you take on vacation and read. It's something that maybe you you do in your morning if you have a morning journaling or meditation or you know reading uh, practice like so many entrepreneurs do. It's it's kind of meant to to inspire the day for you. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that was my thinking and, and the way that it fit into my practice or, or, you know, why I wrote this book frankly, cause it's vastly different from my first uh, five books is that that's something I've done for 20 years. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, entrepreneurship is the greatest self-development program ever created. And, uh, you know, if you, if you intentionally work on yourself, you intentionally get more aware, you intentionally study, 
uh, ideas, witness your thoughts. Um, you know, that's that's the only way you grow. And uh, um, so this book is more of a why to book as opposed to a, a how to book. Uh, and it's it really is meant to be something that you, know, you spend about 90 seconds every day. And uh, hopefully that something lodges in your brain uh, and you start you know, showing up uh, in, in a little different way. And what about you? What was your journey? Or at least how did it sort of, what did it, how did it land for John? I mean, because yeah. you, you write a book and I, we both know what that's like. And it's a big yeah. process. And, yes. and and you made choices. You made 366 choices to begin with, if you will. Or, or actually there's the whole idea of doing a book and then yeah. you know yeah. break it yeah. down into these different ones. Um, May the 1st, by the way, I, I just checked it out, is Fear the Storm by Louisa yeah. May Alcott. <laughs> Lovely weather so far. I don't know how long it will last, but I'm not afraid of storms, for I'm learning how to sail my ships. My ship. That's a, that's a lovely one, uh, John. Um, so, what about for you? What what did John Janch come out of this book with? I think probably, you know, what's interesting is, of course, I wrote this book in the uh, fall of 2018 and spring of 2019. Uh, came out in the fall of 2019. So uh, I wrote it in a, a pretty condensed, when it comes to book writing, a pretty condensed period, especially given all the research that went into it. And of course, now we find ourselves in a, you know, in a very interesting time. And it was almost, in some ways, it's almost like I wrote this book for, <laughs> for what we're going through right now. But um, for me, what I came out with is, is some of the things I'm experiencing now. I, I, I feel a sense of peace um, I probably have a, uh, redefined my, my idea of, you know, what I'm here to do and who I'm here to serve. Uh, I've certainly changed my, um, relationship with success or what it means. And, and, I'm, um, and, 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 you know, this is, this is all stuff that I've worked on forever, uh, for, quite frankly, but it, it's stuff that when, you know, when you, when you take an entire year immersed in this kind of thinking, uh, it, it certainly, uh, you know, it certainly cements kind of uh, some things. It's an amazing thing. I, I love the fact that, you, you know, you, as you say, you've been working on this for a long time. And I, I, I too feel, because you, I can't remember where it was that you wrote this, but you say, if, if, you're, if you're more yourself, you'll be a better leader. And that's actually the bloody subtitle for my new book, John. Mm. <laughs> With this, the title is You Lead, How Being Yourself Will Make You a Better Leader. And and you you absolutely say the same thing, and so I, I and and I think that's what's most relevant today is is coming back to who you are, understanding why you're in business and your purpose. Yeah, yeah, no question. So in in your book, you another thing that I found quite fun and sort of introspective is you talk about this notion of solitude and journaling mm -hmm. and mindfulness. Which let's say are, are not the I mean let's say that you, obviously if you know Silicon Valley and certain types of course it's obvious <laughs> yeah. but for so many it's it's not really something we talk about no. it's almost like vulnerability and, you know we're always projecting this you know I'm perfect I'm I'm a go getter and and how how do you raise money how do you talk to start your shareholders if you're not doing that yeah. but these other things seem to be a little bit more textual and uh, talk us through how how that fits in. Well, so the idea of mindfulness is for the entrepreneur, uh, quite frankly, is that, you know, we spend about 90 percent of our time mind, in mindless. <laughs> Mindlessness. <laughs> as a, as a, um, because we 
we are either um, doing, you know, four things at once or we're worried about the meeting tomorrow or we're worried about how it went last time and it's probably going to go that way again. And I think that, you know, all of that is all of that is basically suggesting that we that we control far more than we actually do. Mm. We control very little in our laps. We control probably only two things, <laughs> how we show up and how we respond to everything that happens. And that's about it. And I think that a lot of stress and anxiety is caused by, you know, thinking we can control other things. Now we can try to influence other things. We can have objectives. But what mindfulness suggests is that you detach from all of the how it's going to happen, <laughs> you know, how you're going to get there and and focus on, you know, this meeting that you're having, you know, focus on this paper that you're that, that you're you're working on right now, uh, because, you know, to in my looking back in hindsight, you know, all the stress and and fear and agony that um, that I've experienced as an entrepreneur was always worrying about things that I couldn't control. And this and the thing that you learn over time, you stay at this long enough, <laughs> is that how often that thing that you wanted to go a certain way, that client that you wanted to get, and you didn't, almost immediately something better happened or a, a, a better path opened up, or you found out that that client, you know, was going to be terrible to work with. <laughs> um, and I think that, I think if you have faith in, you know, that, you know, I think you, you, it causes you less stress, you know, worrying about, you know, how everything is supposed to go. That, that sounds like finding the silver lining in bad things. Yeah. And I think that's a way to look at it, but I, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's far deeper than, um, than just a, you know, a, a quotable T-shirt or <laughs> or something. You know, I think it really is a point of view about the fact that I that, and and Emerson was was a big proponent of this that things happen the way they're going to happen, the way they're supposed to happen for a reason. And so it is. You can look at it as the silver lining, but entrepreneurs who stick around long enough are resilient enough to reframe everything that happens for good or for bad um, right. in a way that is not, you know, I didn't fail, but this test didn't work. And so let's figure out why, or let's figure out what this, this, you know, product launch that didn't go right, you know, was here to teach us. Um, and, and that's, you know, you can call that sort of silver lining or kind of Pollyanna positive thinking, but it takes that to survive <laughs> this, you know, that that ability to kind of reframe. I would say it's about taking perspective and, and knowing how to put things in their place at some level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of times we we even take the way people respond to us and react to us personally. Um, and, you know, the, the challenge with that is we have no idea what went on in their day. Yeah. We have no idea what, you know, what what they're seeing that we're not seeing. Um, and, and so I think mindfulness also uh, brings with it a, a heap of empathy, uh, which, you know, certainly is uh, called for today. It is. And it reminds me of a podcast, what you're saying, that's called Heavyweight. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's, it's this notion that we sometimes bring with us something, yeah. a, a, a heavy thing 
and that filters or is our rose glass through which we see stuff and and if we aren't able to detach ourselves from that then we we lose our ability to take perspective and so if someone says something to you and and you take it badly maybe it's because of your filter that it reminds you of your you know your crap father or your horrible uncle or, right, right, right. or something yeah and the other person just had a bad day yeah yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I'll tell you another thing that I've learned over the years is is if I if I react to something like I've been slighted or somebody said something that I didn't agree with, there's probably a hint of truth in it. Right. <laughs> and that's what that's what caused my reaction was that I somehow internally knew that actually you're right. Uh, that is true about me, but I don't want to believe that story. And I, I think sometimes uh, if you, I catch myself all the time, you know, thinking, why did that person say that, you know, or something. Mm. And then I realize, well, or, you know, you look at somebody else, and you go, oh, I can't believe they're doing that silly thing over there. And then you think, well, actually, I do that all the time. You know, <laughs> I was um, I, I was just in a in an event um, with four people in a, in a thing called an empathy circle. And uh, one of the individuals did something that definitely pissed me off. I don't know if I showed it, but someone else stepped in and and showed me the way. And so I was like, oh, thank God for that. And why was I getting upset? So I was having that sort of moment of, and I was wondering if I was showing it because you know, you're on screen, you're in public. Yeah. You, you mentioned just before, John, about you've redefined success. I would love for you to explain what that is and how it's contributed to your success. Yeah. So I, I guess I have to start by saying I, I, I think that it's very easy in this day and age. You write a book, people put you on a, a pedestal for whatever reason. You go on stages, they want to take pictures with you. I mean, it's very easy to get, you know, a ridiculously overinflated ego. And then and then it gets worse because then you start comparing yourself to people that are on bigger stages than you. And that they're both they're they're like, bigger than mine. Their plane is <laughs> bigger than mine. What is this? And, uh, and, and, you know, it's really easy to fall into that trap, particularly like, uh, like I said, if you have some little fleeting hint of it. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, maybe this is another, you know, thing of age, uh, you not everybody gets wiser, but some do that, uh, um, you know, that, that stuff just doesn't matter, you know, at all. And to me, kind of my simple definition of success that, that I think I would apply to anybody has nothing to do with, uh, measurement of anything. It's more about, um, a feeling of freedom that, that I'm free to choose if, that, you know, if I want to, you know, if I want to live in a big house, I'm free to choose to do that. If I don't want to do that, it really has no, I don't care what other people think. <laughs> you know, if I choose to drive, I, I drive a 10 year old mini Cooper, um, uh, that, you know, is got four wheels and rolls, you know, um, for a big man, <laughs> that's a very small car. Um, so John, you and I are of a certain age why don't we do that at, you know, 40 years ago? And, 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 or maybe more pertinently for those who are listening, why would somebody who's 20 start to get on that bandwagon now? And what, why are they waiting? Yeah. So I, I, there's two parts to that question. I think a lot of it is, is, you know, societal is, you know, the environment we grew up, but we all also know the exceptions. I mean that you know the, the 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 kid in high school that everybody used to poke fun at um, probably was more self assured than anybody, <laughs> um, and I think that that you know the the first part of your question you know why do we do it is um, I just don't think we trust ourselves enough. 
Um, and that's really the whole idea of self-reliance, uh, in my view. A lot of people look at it as, oh, going it alone and, you know, killing your own food and you know, not depending on anyone else. And it really is more about actually having such a thorough level of, of self-trust that you're not impacted by what other people think you should do or say or, you know, what what the common path for everybody your age is. Um, you know, you, you really are are more in tune with what, you know, what you're your heart, what your soul says uh, to you. And I think that it just takes a long time for people to actually get deprogrammed <laughs> into, you know, having the ability to think that way. So that that is maybe how we've got to where we've got to. I think yeah. I, I'm on that same path. And and my little sub narrative is that not because we're at our age that we actually do get it, because there are plenty who don't. Sure. I feel like I've had to go through kind of a life changing event to really spark me and and mine was uh, 19 years ago so up until then I was sort of on my little you know (laughs) wagon and running and da 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 and then all of a sudden oh my gosh life is short and I've got to get the shit right and and so how do you what's the persuasion what what kind of argument can you have for a 22 year old coming out of university listen dude or do that. You know, that's a, that's a really tough one because I think if you look, if you ask most people that have, um, you know, very few people go through life and just go and just have it all figured out. Most people have something. I have a, a I wouldn't call it traumatic, but I have something that altered my trajectory for sure um, in, in my career. And and I think most people will point to that. It's almost like we have to get pushed into a corner yeah. sometimes to to actually say, you know, enough. <laughs> Um, I'm going to do my own thing. And, and, you know, that's, that's the, the, the rags to riches stories that everybody likes to tell on the internet, you know, that there is a lot of truth to, to that, you know, and, and I think sometimes comfort and, and, um, you know, complacency and, and just doing just well enough, you know, stops people from, or, or, or certainly allows them to, to live in a state of mediocrity, um, deliver, you know, so-so results deliver so-so work care about people so-so uh because hey it's not costing me that much you know and and the the idea of going out on a limb risking everything in my view you know to follow my heart um might you know might be too scary um you know the the reason i chose the literature that i chose from the mid-19th century is that was sort of the first countercultural period in america we were on the cusp of the civil war we were women were trying to get the right the right to vote. Uh, we were trying to abolish the legal act of human slavery, and all of a sudden, you know, the writing of that time period was like, wait a minute, you know, maybe we should stop listening to you know our forefathers and our preachers and our and our teachers, and maybe we should start following our our own path. I mean, even the fiction from that time period. You, know, you mentioned Louisa May Alcott uh, from Little Women, um, Scarlet Letter, Moby Dick. Those were all stories where the protagonist, uh, it was the first time a protagonist in American literature said, this may cost me everything, but I have to do what I have to do. And I just think that that's tremendous advice for entrepreneurs. Hmm. I love that. Um, of course, I, I think about storytelling in general and, and its role as a, an ability for us to improve our empathy by leaning into the characters that are you know you and i obviously didn't live that experience but by reading great literature you sort of you you become the character the fictional character and you start thinking about what it feels like to have been a woman 
subjected or or black slave or mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff and and then oh my godfathers that was a different experience i wanted to link one thing john as we terminate our chat here is um this notion of of being yourself and purpose mm-hmm. <laughs> are, are they necessarily linked now i would say they probably are not necessarily linked i would say they can be uh linked but I say the disconnect is that purpose, having a solid grasp on purpose, pushes us to do things we maybe don't want to do, that are inconvenient, that are hard to do. That may cost uh, me everything. That may cost me everything. Whereas being ourself maybe is maybe becomes opinion of I'm going to do what I want to do <laughs> uh, because I'm just being me. You know, you see right now a lot of people doing Facebook lives where they're sharing, you know, how we should feel and they're being authentic. And, you know, to me, that's just, that's just an excuse not to actually do some hard work. Um, and I know that, you know, I, again, I've done, I've done my share of that as well, but I think that's the difference is that purpose is what drives us to do the, the, the hard stuff, the stuff we're afraid to do. Yeah. I, I, the words that come to my mind, John, are, are messiness and courage. Mm-hmm. And, and somehow the messiness thing is like <laughs> accepting my imperfection and the courage to do things I fear. Last question for you, John. Um, we're at the end, hopefully, of a COVID lockdown, you know, for now anyway. How do you believe customers are going to change coming out of this? Well, I think we're going to see, I mean, let's face it, some industries are going to get wiped out. Um, in the sort of tail of the tsunami. Uh, there are going to be certain industries that don't recover. And there also is going to be, I think, certain behaviors that became day-to-day, even though it's only been five, six weeks. For example, uh, the online meeting, the online technology, the online conference, I think is only going to grow uh, because an, an entire world of new people got introduced to it and said, hey, you know what? For like an initial sales call, this works fine. Yeah. Who needs yeah. to get on an airplane? This actually exactly. works. Blue jeans, <laughs> Zoom, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so things like that, I think certain behaviors, I think I think I I believe that and and who knows, you know, in six months from now or a year from now, maybe, you know, everybody goes back to what they call normal. Um, I hope we have a new abnormal. Um, I hope that this fo- this focuses more attention on the environment <laughs> and what we were doing to the environment. I hope that this actually uh, helps people uh, sort of slow down and say, you know, this time that I've been spending with my family, taking these walks, not buying as much crap, you know, is actually behavior that um, that I hope sticks around. Now, if I sold crap or I owned a restaurant or, I, you know, I might not believe that. Uh, but I, I, I hope that this sort of pause um, actually has a sort of a collective reflection element to it. For someone who's been helping my wife repaint our kitchen with duct tape. I'm hoping that that sticks too. John, how can someone uh, follow you? What's the best thing? And how can they, of course, get your books? Tell us sure. more. Sure, sure. So you can find pretty much everything I've been doing for the last couple of decades at ducttapemarketing.com. And that's D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E marketing.com. I'm, I am on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter as well. And uh, you can you can find the books pretty much anywhere you buy books, but I do also have them on the homepage of Duct Tape Marketing as well. If there were one thing that would make you happy, what would that be, John? 
Whew, one thing, just one thing. Who could say one thing? Um, and 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 I guarantee you, Minter, that if I answered this tomorrow, it would probably be something different. But, hey, that's another uh, another uh, <laughs> incantation, another meditation. Yes. But but I'm 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 really. Um, I hope we do something about the environment. It's really, uh, I, I really, um, I think that we are so should be so connected to nature, and yet we're we're you know we're destroying it. So great, listen, John. I really loved having you on the show. It's lovely to chat with you and get to know you better. Um, I encourage everyone on on the who's listening to go and check out your podcast and your books. Thanks for coming on the show, John. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.